RPG lessons learned. When the game is over, when your players are gone, that's when lessons are learned. Hello, Brian. Hey, Dusty. How's it going? It's going well. So, slight change to the show this week. I, th- I think we're going to learn as we go. Week number two. Yep. Listen to the previous episode several times. I did. Uh, we haven't released it yet, so uh, you're hearing this in my future. But uh, It's always your future, though. That, that's true, but further Unless in my future live. than, than, than pe- people otherwise might suspect. But um, having, the, uh, having one lesson learned that we focus on and kind of building the recap of the game to that was a little stilted. And it didn't let the conversation go um, as fluidly as I would have liked. So I think what we're going to do from now on is keep recapping our games and then open-ended, you know, we'll just talk about the lessons we learned in that game. And if we repeat some lessons learned, I think that's okay. Because I know as a DM, I've had to learn the same things over and over again before it really sunk in. Well, to be completely honest, if we are approaching this from our uh business professional background i am constantly relearning things and i'm having to learn new ways to approach the same problem or realizing that i thought i knew something but i really didn't yeah and it has a lot to do with like organizational maturity right as as you onboard a new player suddenly the the average and i'm I'm saying maturity I, i don't really mean maturity i mean um you know, business maturity, process maturity, ability to execute, ability to play an effective game. The average for the whole group goes down and you find yourself retreading, you know, certain water, um, paying for the same real estate twice. And that's okay. That's part of onboarding. But you're right. There's some amount of that just in gaming. So today I thought we'd talk about our Redbox game. So still violently in the throes of fourth edition. This was a while ago. This was a long while ago. Um, and this was a th- this began a phase that will probably last us for several podcast sessions, where I was extremely completionist. So I, I bought the Red Box. I had read it cover to cover, and I discovered several PDF downloads that related to the Red Box. I actually ran you guys through the Player's Book, which was originally meant to be this choose your own adventure, build a character. Mm-hmm. I had individual sessions with you and Chris and Mike. Uh, and ran you through that, DMing you through that, so that I could get more comfortable with the with the content. But I ran you through what was supposed to be a, a solo adventure, and then there was this thing called the, uh, the the Ghost Tower, the Dungeon of the Ghost Tower. I forget exactly what it was. It was a PDF download that was a prequel to the Twisting Halls adventure in the Red Box, and it was also kind of choose your own adventure, but for a group. And I ran you guys through that. So before the Red Box, which was meant to be the introduction to the game, I ran you through several adventures before we even got to the twisting halls really yes so do you remember that at all i i I remember playing the red box but i don't have any specific details around the red box so you don't remember our one-on-one session in a meeting room um working through that choose your own adventure portion of the red box where you're actually building your character as you went so just you and me yes yeah i do remember that yep so that was before the red box or that that was i'm sorry that was the red box but that was before this twisting How long adventure. ago was that? Uh, this was probably... Three or four years? Yeah, it was the year I got married. It, w- it would have been 2010. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that long ago. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yes, I, I, I vividly remember that. I think Actually, I think we were in... Uh, wasn't it like NB 5903 or 5916, something like that? Yes, it was. It was definitely one of the, one of the, one of the 916 rooms. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I remember that. All right, so I uh, ran those couple adventures, ran the twisting halls... Uh, and this was the first ever like prepackaged 
adventure I'd ever run. I, our last game I talked about, I kind of made things up. This game was definitely a uh, can't. Uh, poster map came with the game, a, a beautiful poster map. Uh, several puzzle encounters, several combat encounters. You could really see where in 4th edition with the Essentials line, which is what the Redbox was, it was the first product in the Essentials line, they were really trying to push you to try every different type of encounter, a skill challenge, a social encounter, a combat encounter, s- several puzzles um, in one dungeon, in one box. And that's what we did. Uh, you might remember uh, your friend Travis, the Draymaster, uh, the, the the dwarven, the, the guy driving the carriage that you guys were on. Yeah, I remember that. Yep, and he lost his box to a bunch of goblins and yep. a mysterious rider. Yes, you had to recover Travis's box. And that was the setup to the Twisting Halls adventure. And I remember right away, right away, I ran into the classic DM problem of, I believe it was Chris, but you and Mike certainly jumped in. Why should we help this guy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's in it for us? We are often uh, very uh, selfish in these games. Yeah, and to be fair, you had all rolled neutral characters. Yeah. So you're all saying, hey, this is this is my alignment. What's in it for me? Uh, was I not running a paladin at this point? No. Um, in fact, I believe your character's name was Inigo, Inigo Montoya. Oh, he definitely was not a paladin. No. He was a, he was a fighter. He was a fighter. We were, yeah. running, we were running straight red box. So, so straight red box, our only options were uh, magic user, rogue, fighter, and uh, wizard. Yeah. I'm sorry. I said magic user. I meant wizard. Uh, wizard, cleric, fighter, rogue. Yeah, that sounds right. Anyway, um, started the the adventure outside. You guys encountered some goblins. You burst into the dungeon. This dungeon, I don't know if you remember this, that flavorfully, I tried really hard to introduce all the flavor from the book. I was very rote about following the book. It was this um, overgrown sort of uh, religious complex that had a lot of iconography of minotaurs. It, it had been a minotaur. Um, place of worship for an evil minotaur god so let, let me cut through to some stuff that i, I know there, there are a few puzzles here um there's only a couple of things that i would call truly memorable about this dungeon one thing was and i'll just say the words and, I, and i'll let you jump in and, and tell me what you remember do you remember the young white dragon and the flaming bedroll <laughs> of course i do <laughs> what do you remember about that I, I feel I, I vaguely remember that we were like at our wits end on how to um, gosh, was this a s- sneak attack? It was. You guys had had kind of a long social encounter with this thing. We had an idea. We needed to co- something that was combustible, some sort of oil involved. Well, this was actually on the way out of the dungeon. You guys had encountered the white dragon, but talked your way past him. Yeah. You got to the end. You beat the the big bad of the dungeon. I, I forget his name right off, but uh, he was kind of an alchemist, and and the the dungeon. At, not the digital, the poster map, the room where you beat him was this clearly alchemical lab. Yeah. With, that, yeah. with tables full of potions and chemicals. Yeah. So to set it on fire, we lit a bedroll and we threw it. Yeah. You grabbed some of that stuff, you soaked the bedroll, and you uh, you basically you wanted to make it explosive. So you took the box, you recovered Travis's box, you found what was supposed to be the major twist um, regarding Travis's box, the, the fact that what was inside was this necromantic artifact, the skull covered in, 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 you know, runes that had to do with necromancy. You took the skull out of the box, you put, you know, the bedroll as stuffing and a few chemicals and you, and you, and you, you know, did up a thievery roll to make this thing explosive and you presented it to the white dragon, uh, as, as treasure. And when the, when the dragon opened it, it, it burst in its face and that's how you guys were able to defeat the dragon. Yeah, I remember that. That was so. We even we even joke about the bedroll to this day. Yes, it comes up almost every game. Yeah, flaming bedroll. 
Uh, something else. Let's see if you remember this. Do you remember playing a round of Wizard's Chess? Mm, um, was this with like full size pieces? It was like with uh, like human size or larger. Yeah. So yeah. on the poster map was this eight by eight checkerboard room, and the dungeon actually called for pawns, knights, uh, you know, a rook, a queen, just a few pieces to be stationed, and you had to figure out a way to pick your pick your way across the room without landing on a square that was in danger from one of those pieces. Yes. And and Mike Im- immediately. I mean, Mike, big Harry Potter fan, immediately was like, yes. "Oh, we're playing Wizard's Chess." Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he actually expected it to be more complicated than it was. He was he thought you'd have to finish the chess game, but all you had to do was just walk across squares that were not in danger. Yeah, th- again, this was very early on when uh, all of the tropes that Mike was used to from uh, fantasy and the MMORPG stuff that he's done came in really handy. Yes. All right, so I'll throw another memory at you. Do you remember? Almost wiping on four guards. Mm, no, I don't remember that. You don't. That that blows my mind. All right, talking about you know. So recapping this game, I still turn this. This is still a huge regret of mine. I I, I literally will, will think about this sometimes. You know, when I get performance anxiety about DMing, I'll go back. I'll go all the way back to the story and how terribly I mishandled it. But I was doing a couple of things wrong, um, and I didn't know that I was doing stuff wrong. But basically, I had it where. Um, I, I, if you tied, if you did an attack roll and it tied the enemy's AC, yeah, I said that wasn't a hit. You had to exceed their AC, which is what I thought at the time. Ah, and these guards had decent AC. These guards had an AC of nineteen. So you guys were just not hitting these guards at all, and they were wiping the floor with you because none of you had great armor. Um, they completely wiped the floor with you, and I regret this in a couple of ways. No, number one, I regret not knowing such a such a simple rule. Um, there are a lot of rules in the fourth edition to know. Well, yeah, but but AC is not the one to trip up on. Yeah, um, I regret messing up the rule, but I also regret not letting you wipe. <laughs> oh, because you showed uh, mercy on us. I showed too much mercy. Um, it was so it was obvious to Mike. It was obvious to Chris. They were joking about all oh, the DMs going easy on us because I, uh, someone. Oh, I remember you made the one in four hundred comment. Uh, Chris was down. He rolled a twenty on his death save which got him a hit point. And I went ahead and said, you know what? Go ahead and take your action and attack because you guys are so far behind. And he rolled another 20 and he crit on the card. And uh, I remember you making the comment, oh, there's a one in 400 chance of that. But anyway, he crit on the guard and I used that as an excuse despite the fact they were wiping the floor with you to have the guards retreat. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I was like, oh, you, you That st- would never happen. <laughs> no. <laughs> you stand up and crit this guard and they're so freaked out they run away. And Mike and Chris were both like, yeah, right. Oh, such a regret. I should not have done that at all. Um, nothing else, and I'm actually flipping through the booklet now, nothing else stands out as memorable. The, the boss fight certainly wasn't memorable. The boss's name was Malareth, by the way. Yeah, I remember that. So, but isn't, so the red box is basically like the first game that most people would play in 4th edition, right? Yeah, it came out probably midway through the life of 4th edition, actually not midway, I think 4th edition came out in 2009, the red box came out in September 2010. Wait, 4th edition came out in 2009? Yeah, man. I thought it was, I thought it was much earlier than Ooh, that. Oh, maybe it was 8, I can't remember. No, I, I was thinking it was like 2000 or something, or 90s or something. <clears throat> no, actually. It did not last long. 3rd edition came out in 2000. Okay. But no, fourth edition was two thousand eight, two thousand nine, somewhere around there. Um, and Redbox came out. Oh, the Essentials line came out in response to complaints that for, that, that combat in fourth edition took too long, that characters were too complicated. Um, fourth edition Essentials was meant to be kind of a recast of the whole thing, it's like Windows uh, ME. Yeah, there you go. 
or it's meant to be a friendlier approach to yeah windows 98 um still compatible totally compatible but uh a simpler version of it. And I actually loved the essentials line. Um, in fact, we went on to run every major adventure in the essentials line. Really? Yeah, we did. Um, the iron circle. Yeah. Which was the adventure that came with the DMS kit, this box kit for DMS. Um, and there were, there were two parts to that adventure. I think it was called the reavers of Harkenwold, but the bad guys were the iron circle. And then, and, and, and probably the episode after next, we'll talk about that at next episode, the episode after next, We'll talk about uh, the Cairn of the Winter King, which was, again, another dungeon um, that I felt like I ran a little bit better thanks to some lessons I learned on this one. But I, I stuck to um, that Essentials line of adventures very rotely, and, and was a I was a total completionist about having to wring every bit of content I could out of Fallcrest, out, out of this adventure line. We still play in Fallcrest. We do. I kind of love Fallcrest. Yeah, I do too. Um, uh, part of it goes back to Falkrest being so heavily featured in those Chris Perkins Penny Arcade podcasts. I feel like I know Falkrest a little bit. So lessons I learned from this Redbox dungeon. Uh, first of all is let the party wipe. Let the dice fall where they may. Let the party wipe. Don't let up. Don't give a free pass. It, I, it lost me cred with Chris and Mike. Uh, and it made me, it gave me the image of this uh, apologist DM. I don't know if apologist is even the right word, but you know what I mean. A forgiving DM? Lenient. Lenient. Was, I was much too lenient. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I don't view it as a fault, but I kind of view you as a lenient DM sometimes. Yeah. I, I, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, it makes the game fun, but in the occasions when we have wiped, you know, I still had fun. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about party wipes to this day. I, I want to sit here and say, right, the lesson I learned is to let the dice fall where they may and, and let the party wipe. But to this day, if I sense that you guys are about to wipe, I'm I'm a little off put by that. I feel like I feel like that's a failure of mine to balance the encounters. And I've had times when I've created encounters that are just totally unbalanced. Because I mean, you know what? Balanced encounters don't happen in the real world. In the real world, you know, if you go up against an entire gang, you know, at, at the place where it's their headquarters, you're gonna lose because there's a lot of them. There's not very yeah. many of you. I mean, so but it's supposed to be fun. It's like, uh, we both like the game Bad Dudes, like versus Dragon Ninja. I'm bad. Yeah. So, uh, in real life, those bad dudes would not have made it past the first stage. No, not at all. But, like, it's it's a fun game. It's a classic game because you really enjoy it. Yeah. It's a fantasy that you're living out. And that's what this is. But I'll say this. It's fun because the first time you play that game, you do die on the first stage. True. And until you figure out you know, the, the down jump, the up jump, the power punch, until you figure that out and make all those pieces work, you're never going to get past that first stage and past that first boss. So if I'm lenient as a DM, you don't, the players lose that sense of accomplishment when they get better at coordinating, when they get better at making sure they're flanking enemies, when they get better at making sure that they try to always get a surprise round by being careful, being stealthy, and having a plan. So with a video game, though, one, the time commitment is different than sitting down and playing a game for three hours. But so the times that we have wiped or whatever, we have never gone back and played the same adventure over. No. Uh, it's it's if, if we wipe, sometimes you will have us, we'll be uh, taken prisoner, and we'll have to go and escape the next game. But it's never been a do-over. And video games are all about do-overs. True, yeah. 
Um, we did do a couple of games over, but that was always to introduce new players yeah. because we had a couple of adventures that worked really well for that. We'll get to that later. Um, no, you're right. You, I feel like a do-over would be such a waste of time. You get everyone together. The whole point is that you're not playing a video game. The whole point is that there are real-world consequences. Real-world consequences. Well, you know what I mean. Not real-world consequences. It should feel like the real world because there are, what's the word I'm looking for, persistent consequences. Yeah. If you mess up, that, that consequence remains. And even if you die and you make a new character in the same world, you know those townspeople are still talking about these adventures that came in and, and, and messed things up. And the time you invested into that character is is lost yeah so if i were to step back and do a do-over oh man that that's me as a dm completely stepping on every every choice you made as a player everything that you did no i mean i i, I don't want to say i don't i'm going to shy away from saying no dm should ever do that of course there are cases when a do-over might be appropriate like if you didn't know some rule like i didn't but for the most part you know D D or tabletop rpgs are about hey this is not a video game and the choices that you make have consequences they matter and what you're really telling together is a story. We talked about that last time. You're telling a story. If the session results in a good story, win, lose, or draw, then hey, great session. And if you go back and you retell that same story, you're, you're going to lose some of that magic. It's, it's, it's better to keep moving forward. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, like, I don't understand how somebody can, uh, like someone who's in a play, and they have to do that play sometimes twice a day, five, six days a week. I just that seems like my idea of hell. Yeah, re-experiencing the same emotions over and over again. Yeah, that's a great point. Is is that this is different from any other creative outlet? But when you write something, when you write a novel and you write a scene, you can go back and edit it, and rewrite it, and recast it, and retry it until you get it perfect. Um, RPGs aren't that way. It, it, it's like I know we used the term improv last time. It's like improv. Yeah. Now is the moment. Now is the time. Figure it out. And if you don't figure it out. Hey, there's always next game, but next game's in a different place, different mm-hmm. location. That that one-liner you thought of for this zombie, you're not going to be able to use next game against a knoll or an orc. Yeah, that'd be really sad if you tried. It would be. So what am I saying the lessons learned are from this game? Um, don't be a lenient DM. Um, try to... I'm not saying don't... Mm, I'm struggling with how to phrase this. Uh, don't let the players know that you're interfering. That's what I've gotten better at. When it, actually, this is pulling it together for me, Brian. Earlier, I was thinking the lesson here was don't be lenient. The lesson might be be lenient, but have it be transparent. And, and that was hard in 4th edition. In 4th edition, you had to commit to, okay, now this enemy's bloodied. So the players now know, okay, it's got half of his points left. So if I suddenly say next round that it's dead, then I've, I've clearly cheated. 5th edition and, and other games let you avoid that pitfall. The players don't really know how many hit points the enemy has left um, because you haven't committed to that bloodied status. Yeah, that makes sense. And I feel that, uh, I mean, sometimes you telegraph it. I, I know there's sometimes you, do, you don't, but sometimes you'll just flat out say, um, like for example, I'm thinking back to the game that we played. Uh, was it BFRPG? Or what, what was it? That was the uh, Star Wars knockoff. No, that was BRP. BRP. That was the that was the Chaosium D one hundred system. Well, so basically the Han Solo character uh just died. So um the player that was playing Han Solo 
uh, magically got to play a character that was very similar to Han Solo, a.k.a. basically Lando Calrissian. Yes, it turns out Lando had been on the ship the whole time waiting for him. Yeah, exactly. So uh, sometimes you're very transparent, and that is okay, but I know there are times when you're not, and I appreciate that. Yep. And maybe there's a different lesson to be learned here, too. Uh, Be transparently lenient, but also maybe share the numbers. I, I, I do a thing lately where I actually put the enemy's AC and hit points on the whiteboard. I feel like there's a lot in D&D where you're relying on the DM and the DM's description to get everything out of this world. And there's so much context that you would actually get if you were there. If you were in the dungeon, smelling the mold, watching every strike, seeing every cut, there's so much more context that you get that a DM can't possibly describe. So I I do kind of, nowadays, I do a major RPG no-no, and I put the bad guy's AC and hit points up on the board. And I think and back you leave to them just, on the board. Yeah, and I leave them there for the next day. Oh uh, yeah, for people I, to question what it meant. Yeah, I did forget that. Um, but I'm thinking back to that gargoyle fight from our our last game that we played together, Brian, where I had the gargoyles AC and hit points up on the board, and you guys figured out pretty quickly that you weren't hurting the gargoyle by watching the numbers not go down. Yeah, and that led you to retreat. And I feel like that was a victory because I was trying to describe that hey, you're not being very effective. Yeah, but players may or may not pick up on that. But real adventurers hitting a gargoyle and not seeing any damage. Or fatigue or anything. Or fatigue would would figure that out in context much more quickly. So putting those hit points and putting that armor class up there gives that context and and lets you tell a more effective story. Yeah, uh, I I really appreciated that. It really helped me uh, strategize better. So anything that you would have suggested to me after that that Redbox Twisting Halls adventure? Uh... So I think the flaming bedroll thing, if if that came up now, it would have played out differently. I think uh, you've become a little more strict in, in what we can do and what we can't do. But realistically, if, if we had a flaming bedroll and we had those chemicals, it, it, it would combust. Oh, yeah. But there have been times where somebody wanted to uh, burn a column in, like, uh, in a uh, mine, and uh, you'll be like, okay— uh, it's it's scorched. Yeah, uh, which, well, I, that, which that I appreciate. Silly. I mean, you you guys had access to a table full of chemicals. That situation was completely different. Yeah. What Brian's referring to is a game um, that we may or may not talk about in a, in a later episode, where a couple of players um, had some 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 rags and tied it around a column in a mine and, and lit it on fire, trying to light the column on fire, trying to make the mine collapse. And I'm like, okay, that that just that's not how fire works. That wouldn't <laughs> that wouldn't work. So yes, you you succeed the the the, the the rag is on fire. What happens to the column? Um, it's got some scorch marks on it. Is it on fire? No. No. And, and the thing is, I would have let them collapse the mine. If they would have told me, hey, we want to collapse the mine, what can we do? As long as you could come up with a way that would be plausible. Yeah, that's plausible. You know, plausibility. Uh, like last game that we played, uh, we had to figure out a way to get some uh, sarcoph- sarcophagi out of um, a mausoleum. So we tied them to horses, and the horses could pull them out. Yeah, that was your that was your very John Carpenter vampire moment, like like they used to. The, the I've never winch. watched that. Oh, you haven't? So I yeah. So John Carpenter, uh, I owe you five bucks. That's a that's a great movie based on a fantastic book by John Stakely. John Stakely did two books, Armor and Vampires with a dollar sign instead of an S. Amazing books, love them. Love those two books. Yeah, I always wanted to watch that movie, but I never did. Uh, but back, actually, there's one more thing I want to talk about with regard to that Red Box Dungeon. So do you remember the game we played in a meeting room 
where Kim, your wife, was. I remember, yes. Yes, she was an audience member. Okay, so that's another example of this, this completionist streak I had about the Redbox and about the Essentials line. That was another PDF adventure to download. Chris Perkins ran some celebrity players, it will D&D celebrities, so like, like R.A. Salvatore, whom I really like, but he ran them through this adventure that takes place immediately after the Twisting Halls, um, where you're coming out of the Twisting Halls, and you have you know Travis's box, you have that loot, and you run into this evil, you know, female tiefling necromancer who's trying to stop you. And you mentioned this last podcast, Brian. This was the first time that you guys used the social mechanics in the game to to get in a free surprise round. You want to tell that story? Uh, well, basically, uh, so this was you said it was a tiefling minion. Uh, no, she was a tiefling necromancer. Tiefling necromancer. She, she, she the, the 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 plot was that she was a student of Malareth's. Yeah, so basically, uh, was it Chris? Because I think Chris ended up uh, using, um, what feed is it? Um, Chris, I think Chris was able to guile her into... Oh, it's not a feat. He used, uh, he's bluff. Yeah, he's bluff. Sorry, a skill, not a skill. feat. Sorry, yes, he, yes. yes skill. Uh, to basically uh, get her on his side, to let her believe that, uh, that we were going to... Co- cooperate yeah hey oh you're here we we also work for Malareth. let us escort you inside yeah you go first <laughs> yeah and she kind of stands down and goes first and and he hit a great role and he actually did a good job saying what he would say as far as the bluff check and i was like yeah that, that's plausible he's had some tremendous bluff checks over the years he has he's also had some tremendous failures yes that's true yeah. they average out <laughs> they, it's the way math works they do um so another lesson learned here and this will be a theme for the next couple of podcasts as I talk about the, the Redbox series, or sorry, the Essentials line. It's a lesson I had to learn over the course of many months of running the Essentials line is don't be a completionist and don't be so focused on running these out-of-the-box adventures that you forget to let your players play. you got to let them play in the world. And I stuck to these adventures um, so carefully that every time I heard, oh, there's there's this PDF extension of this adventure, oh, well, I've got to run that too. I can't not run that. And lesson learned: if it's not fun, don't beat that. If it, hey, if it's fun, do it. If your players love it, do it. But we but, did we did play that Gygax dungeon recently. We did. Yeah, that that was a fun change of pace. Yeah, but like I don't know that most people would have considered it fun. Yeah, and for that Gygax dungeon, by the way, for those of you listening from him, he's referring to the uh, the Tome of Horrors. Yeah, but it was fun. We somehow managed not to die. Yeah, we'll talk about that game. Yeah. All right. So I think that's I think that's our Redbox game. Yeah, I think so. Hey, Dusty. One thing I wanted to mention is uh, we currently do not have an iTunes feed, uh, but we will have an RSS feed to share uh, with the posting of this podcast. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So hopefully in the next couple of weeks we'll have we'll be on iTunes so people can can subscribe. Yep. So tfradio.net. All right. Well, thank you very much, Brian. Thank you, Dusty. People call them postmortems, evaluations, appraisals, reviews, retrospectives. We call them lessons learned, and we're sharing ours with you.